yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself. reading of the word from Matthew 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. 
The word of the Lord. All right, we're going to start over because you couldn't hear me for just a minute because my mic wasn't on. Uh, So there, I want to say good morning and welcome uh, to all of you here. Uh, Whether you are watching here in Abilene or somewhere else in the world, we're grateful uh, to have your presence with us. We're taking that two-week pause, like many of the other churches here in Abilene, to to do our part uh, to slow the spread of COVID-19 in our city. And I want you to know that our leaders are going to meet And hopefully by Wednesday, we'll have an announcement on what the future holds for our indoor gatherings. Um, Before we jump into the text today, and it was a fascinating text, I want us to think a little bit about families. Do you have somebody that's a little strange in your family? Maybe they're they're famous or infamous? Uh, My family, on my, my father's mother's side, we're supposed to be related to the outlaw, Jesse James, which is kind of cool. It's kind of exciting. Um, but on my, my father's father's side, they were a bunch of Kentucky coal miners who ended up on the wrong side of the law during Prohibition, which was a fascinating story to hear when I was growing up. I, I thought I was related to Langston Hughes because I loved his poetry until I saw a picture of him. You know, you have some famous people in your family, maybe, somebody that's made it big or or become important, but there's also tragic stories, like my great-uncle, who was in uh, Patton's tank army in World War II. When he came back from North Africa, he was never quite the same. He would walk in the streets of Chicago, and if he saw somebody on the corner talking to somebody else, and he thought to himself, they're talking about me, He realized it was time to go back to the VA. Or the great aunt on my mother's side, who she was kicked in the head by a horse when she was eight years old. And she never mentally developed past that life, that age for the rest of her life. And while that sounds tragic, she was a wonderful playmate for my mom, who never had any sisters. And she had an understanding of God that the most eloquent poet could not describe. And as a kid growing up, these things don't really seem that strange to you because they're your family, and your your family kind of creates the default of what the world is supposed to be like. It's just kind of the way it is. That's normal until you grow up a little bit and you realize how weird they really are. Like the uncle that bought me a gas mask for my eighth birthday, uh, an Israeli gas mask, which was awesome and weird. This is the same uncle, by the way, who got a uh, gun dealer's license, not so that he could sell guns, but just so that he could possess more guns. He was so cool growing up. But maybe you have an aunt or an uncle that doesn't come around anymore at the holidays and reunions, and everybody knows why, but nobody talks about it. Maybe you have that cousin who's Marriage date and delivery date got mixed up. If you know someone like that, they found themselves in the story of Jesus as well. Or maybe that other cousin that went away to prison for a while. It's remarkable how much our lives are determined or at least shaped by our family tree. 
And we can say all we want about making your life your own and seizing your own reality, but the one thing that you cannot escape yet is your genetics, the story of your family. Every family, it seems, has a a black sheep or two or maybe a, a skeleton in the closet, and you may be saying to yourself right now, yep, I'm the black sheep. So what do we make of Jesus's family tree? What's the significance there? What do you make of your own family tree? I think for some of us, our eyes glaze over when we read a biblical genealogy. There are just so many names, and frankly, who cares? I, I felt bad for Jennifer as she had to read that list of names uh, because we have a tendency that we might think that Matthew is, is putting this as, as the credits to the start of a movie, you know, where it's just kind of a blank screen and a bunch of names with the overture playing. But, but make no mistake, Matthew puts this at the very beginning of the story of the Messiah for a reason. And I want us to realize there's another genealogy in Luke. There's two gospel genealogies. They both exist, and they're different. They're not the same, and that helps us to realize that this is a theological document, not a historical document. Matthew does skip a few generations here and there, and so I want us to look together about what is Matthew trying to say in this list of names about Jesus and about us. I want us to think about the the, the word that he begins this, he, he starts it by using the, the Hebrew word uh, origin, which is the same word to translate a genealogy or book. This book is the genesis of Jesus Christ. It's the beginning of Jesus Christ. And what that tells us is that what God was doing in the beginning with creation, God does again in the incarnation. And the focus here is on messianic hope. This is what God has been intending from the very beginning, from, from that failure in the garden up until now, every step God has been taking leads us to this point. The structure is, is three sets of 14, three, uh, 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, from the exile to Christ. And the, the number 14 is, is kind of important there. It's, it's two times seven. It's twice perfect. And what it really highlights is, is who Jesus is. He's the son of Abraham and the son of David. Because God made a promise to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, the text says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's the real key. The promise that God made to Abraham was not just to Abraham. What Matthew's trying to show us is that promised Abraham lives through Jesus, that, that all the families of the earth, every nation, every kingdom, every tribe, every person on this world is going to be blessed through Jesus. It's a promise that God made to Abraham, but it's not just to Abraham. It's to us. It's the promise that God made to David, but not just to David, but also to us. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the author writes, I will be his father. Now that's God in the text. God is the I, and his is referring to David. I will be his father, and he will be my son. My love will be never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, 
whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And I love how in this particular part of Samuel, the, the pronouns are vague. I will be his father. He's talking in the original text to David, but he's also talking about Jesus, that Jesus is the, is the kingdom that is going to be established that will never fade away. His throne will never disappear. It's a promise that God made to David, but not just to David. It's a promise that God makes to us, that the kingdom will never go away, never diminish, never fade. It's the promise to Abraham, the promise to David, and it's the promise to the exiles. Now, if you don't know the story of the exiles, after David is considered kind of the, the religious pinnacle of kings in Israel, He's the, he's the best king, the king that is closest to God's heart. And after David, every king in their own way is a little bit worse than the one that was before them. And eventually God says, I cannot endure this anymore. And so I'm going to take away your nation so that you can learn to trust me. And so God takes the people of Israel many generations later and sends them into exile, captive in Babylon. But even to the, the exiles living in Babylon, there's a promise. In Jeremiah chapter 29, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The promise to the exiles is a reminder that every empire will fall before God. That nothing that we're enduring right now, no hardship or disappointment or suffering will last forever. That eventually God gets God's way and brings his people back home. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. It's the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham to bless the world. It's the fulfillment of God's promise to David to make a kingdom that will never fade. It's the promise to the exiles that one day God will bring us all home. And it's all contained in a list of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. But that's not all the names that we see as we're reading this through. It's, it's fascinating because of who is included. There are four women in this list, Tamar, whose story is beyond tragic, and Rahab, who was a prostitute, Ruth, who was a Moabite, she was a foreigner, and perhaps the most telling, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, who isn't named, who slept with David. All of these stories remind us that the Jesus story isn't perfect. That there are a few skeletons in his closet. And there are a few awkward stories in his family tree. It's fascinating for who Matthew leaves in as a reminder that every, every family, every person in this world has got a few problems in, in their history. And so if you found yourself there with a few embarrassing stories, just know that you're in good company. Because Jesus was there too. I also love it's fascinating because who's, who's not left out? Kings like Hezekiah and Manasseh and Josiah. 
In some ways, if you were looking at the story of Israel from a sense of political power, these might be the three strongest kings, but each of them has kind of their own story of, of rise and fall, of, 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 of power and failure. And it's a reminder to us that God doesn't judge our, our choices, doesn't judge our, our achievement and our success based on what other people might think of, of, of wealth or political power or stability but rather by faithfulness, by the willingness to once again take our lives and bend it to the way of the cross as we follow Jesus wherever he leads us. I think this has been a really tough season for me already. I don't know what it was like in your family, but my guess is that Thanksgiving had some experience for you this week where it wasn't quite what you wanted. Not everybody could quite be at the same table or you couldn't travel as safely as you want to or if you were able to get together, there was kind of this, this fog hanging in the air of, of risk and uncertainty. I know in my family there was empty seats at the table this year that was heartbreaking. And maybe your family gathering for Thanksgiving was a little bit of a blessing because not everybody could be there, which means that you didn't have to get into some of the political arguments or the, the discussions about all sorts of mess. And that you know that your uncle's going to say something that makes you cringe. And it's just kind of the way it is. And maybe it was a blessing that you weren't gathered together. We were all born into messy families, just like Jesus. And so if you feel like sometimes your world is a mess, the message of Matthew chapter 1, this list of names, is that Jesus has a spot in his family for you. That Jesus represents something new. God is tying up all the loose ends of this broken world. And he continues to do that work through us. I love the, the video that uh, accompanies this series, the bumper that we see every week before it begins. It's this beautiful red sweater that's slowly getting unraveled. And I got to tell you the truth, that is the perfect metaphor for my entire year in 2020. But the reality is, is sometimes the unraveling is a blessing. I mean, it feels like everything has been canceled and you can't go anywhere and there's nothing that you can do about it. But on the other hand, I think what we've discovered is a lot more time. And one of the things that God has spoken to me through all that extra time is just the work that I need to do. That God has been calling me to give parts of myself over to him and I just couldn't hear it because I was too busy. And so sometimes the unraveling feels like loss. But what I think we're gonna see this year and the hope of the loss, the losing, is that sometimes unraveling is a gain because empires fall. But Jesus has invited you to be in his family forever. So this week, may you be filled with the grace of God as you interact with people that are frazzled all around you. And this week, may you be experience the hope that comes from the promise of heaven as you deal with those that are angry and bitter about everything that they've lost. And this week, may you experience the presence of Jesus and the peace that that brings. 
May you be filled with God's love and joy and hope. I love you, Highland. Go in peace.